Today we conclude the sermon series, The Way of Wisdom. Proverbs is a phenomenal book. We have barely scratched the surface of what it has to say to us. So I hope that you will continue reading in it uh, as I do every single day. We certainly have not exhausted every topic, but we have hit several high spots. Today, as we conclude the sermon series, I want to remind you of a few things we mentioned in the introduction. Just kind of wrap it up, put a bow on it, make it nice and pretty. Proverbs are pithy poetic principles, not prosaic perpetual promises. Yeah, I do like the letter P. Proverbs presents pithy poetic principles, not prosaic perpetual promises. Now what I mean by this is principles, not promises. Everything that you read in Proverbs, the genre of the proverb means that you can't guarantee that every single one of these is going to be true in every single situation. In fact, the shorter the statement, the less precise and more universally applicable that statement may be. Now, that's not questioning the authority, the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture in any way. It's just recognizing the genre for what it is. These are Proverbs. They are generally true. Generally true. Number two, the fear of the Lord brackets Proverbs. If you get nothing else from the book of Proverbs, you should zoom in and focus on the fear of the Lord. It shows up in Proverbs 1.7. It shows up again in Proverbs 9.10. As you conclude the first section of Proverbs, you see it again in Proverbs 31.30. If you think of the book of Proverbs and don't think of the fear of the Lord, you haven't fully grasped the book of Proverbs yet. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's many things. It's a worldview. It's the spectacles through which we see everything in life. It's personal. It's not just some general application. It's not some deistic understanding of a God who's out there who created a watch and is separate. The fear of the Lord makes it personal. We must each fear the Lord. I can't fear the Lord for you. You can't fear the Lord for somebody else. The fear of the Lord has to be personal in each of our own lives and that we fear God with a reverent awe coming before him that causes us to hate the things he hates and love the things he loves so that fear of the Lord turns into a hatred of sin and a love of God and a love of others. It's personal. It's your decision. I can admonish you. I can challenge you. I can plead with you. I can exhort you, but I can't make you fear the Lord. You have to do that for yourself, as do I. We learn the fear of the Lord through Scripture. We read about what God has revealed about Himself. We learn more about God as we learn more about God, reading through Scripture, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture. We learn to revere and come in awe of a holy God and His love for us sinners. We experience grace. Our affections begin to shift and focus towards him. We don't learn about the fear of the Lord through having coffee with a philosopher. You don't learn about the fear of the Lord from walking around in the woods. You learn about it through time in the word of God. Number three, the fear of the Lord requires action. If you say, I fear the Lord and you go about living life and sinning and you have no concern about your sin. You do it joyfully. You don't do it with a heavy heart. You don't repent of your sin. You just enjoy your sin. You just go out without a care or concern in the world. You don't understand the fear of the Lord. 
It is a dangerous thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. When you understand who God is, there's a timidity that comes with sinfulness at that point. You're not scared of a wrathful father, but you are in awe of his graciousness and his goodness and his holiness in such a way that you recognize that you yourself, as I recognize, that I'm just a worm in his presence. That my heart is deceitfully wicked, that I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I am undone. As Peter, I fall on my face before the feet of Jesus. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The fear of the Lord. It's the Old Testament way of saying faith in Christ. We see it in 2 Corinthians 5.11 where it says, quote, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Faith in Christ. Number five, you never graduate from the fear of the Lord. Some of you will graduate in a few short days. Some of you in a year or two or three. You never graduate from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the alphabet of the spiritual language. It's the letters that form the words, that build the sentences, that make the thoughts of your spiritual walk with Christ. You don't get past it. You don't move beyond it. The fear of the Lord are the notes that make up God's musical language of life. The fear of the Lord as we have seen on the video, time after time after time, is how we revere God and respond in awe to his revelation, choosing his omniscient ways over our foolish ways. And lastly, for the introduction, number six, even if you follow the way of wisdom, life may not work out perfectly. Even if you follow the way of wisdom, life may not work out perfectly. In fact, I started to say life will not work out perfectly. But I thought there might be that one person in the room where everything has just been perfect for you. So let's do the test. How many of you would say that your life has not worked out perfectly? Raise your hand good and high. All right, everybody look around. Because often we, we get in our funk and we start thinking, I'm the only one that's had a problem in life. You can put your hands down. Anybody in the room, everything's been perfect because we want to come talk to you later. Anybody? Anybody at all? I'm looking. I see no hands. I really don't. I don't see a single hand. I figured there would be at least one person who just wanted to raise their hand so they could say, I raised my hand, but they're not raising it very high. So, so here's my caution to you today. Here's why I wanted to end this sermon series in this way. We walk through Proverbs. We talk about Proverbs we say, all right, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm committed, I'm gonna live the way of wisdom and you live the way of wisdom and all of a sudden life happens, something happens because we live in a sinful fallen world and a bad thing happens to you and then it shakes your faith at the core because you thought in your mind, if I just do these things, I'm gonna get these things. But we can't make demands of God like that. God in his sovereign will gives us things to handle in life that may draw us closer to him, that may deepen our faith, that may help us in the long run, but in the short term, they hurt, and we don't like them. And I want you to be prepared for them. I don't want them to shake your faith to cause you to question who God is or who you are. I want you to know that they are coming. 
that they will happen to each and every one of us. So I think about some of the things that can happen. The death of a spouse. I think about Aaron with him getting sick with non-Hopkins lymphoma. Shouldn't happen. I think about some of our students who have had tumors grow in their heads. Like, that doesn't happen, right? That's not the way it's supposed to work out. I think about several of our athletes on soccer and basketball this year who, who tore ACLs. Athletes that the Lord has given them athletic ability. They're using it for His glory. Things are going well, and then all of a sudden an injury. And Why, Lord? Why this injury? Why at this point in time? Miscarriages. Some of you will have them. And some of you may find out that you can't bear children. Lord forbid. But somebody in this room may lose a child. Likely, somebody in this room will have cancer. Some of our faculty and staff go through this. They're serving God at a good place. Along comes cancer. Why, Lord? What is happening here? You discover that a parent, or perhaps you, has Alzheimer's. You come from a family where you're one of the few believers in your family, and you wonder why, because you always feel isolated or left out. You have a severely disabled child who will need care for life, and it changes everything. In fact, I know of one couple who had a physical situation with one child followed by a mental situation with another child. It's the race that the Lord has given them to run. And I know there has to be days where you question, why, Lord, why is this the race that you have set before me? Anxiety, panic attacks, pain, headaches. You can't explain it. You don't know how to solve it. But it's there. Losing a close friend. How many of you have lost a close friend unexpectedly? There are several of us. I lost a really close friend in high school my senior year, just before the end of football season. A stillborn baby sat in the hospital with a close friend. Pregnancy was fine. There was nothing wrong with the pregnancy, and it came time to deliver, and something happened, and they don't even really know exactly what happened, and the baby had no heartbeat, and the baby was stillborn at nine months. Why? Work where you will see death, sickness, pain, hurt constantly. Those of you who are going to serve in the nursing field, perhaps the pharmacy field, teaching in our schools, and you see kids whose parents aren't loving them or treating them as they should, social work, as you go into homes and you work with those who are less fortunate, counseling ministries, and on and on the list goes. And some of you will encounter things time after time after time that will cause you to look around at a sinful world, at a fallen world, and you will plead for the Lord to come back and to redeem it all. Finding out that a child has a serious medical situation. Watching a child rebel against God spiritually and do things that the child knows and you know are not right. Being blind having to work harder to do the same things that everybody else has to do. And you wonder why. Why, Lord? Watching someone that you love who has an addiction. Alcohol, drugs. 
divorce. Unfulfilled desires. Singleness. Didn't get into that job that you really wanted. Whatever it may be. I think about Tim Toonstra having a heart attack at age 42. One of our faculty members, while healthy. Why, Lord? What's happening? So the main idea of my message after all of that is this. God is faithful. You can trust him. God is faithful and you can trust him. Now, some of you who have been here for four years remember a series back through Hebrews where we walked through the heroes of the faith and over and over and over again, we talked about how God is faithful and you can trust him. Etch those thoughts deep in your mind so that your first thought when bad things happen in life is not to turn away from the sovereign, loving, merciful, caring God of the universe, but to run to him. To lean deep to the rock of our salvation, not to run away to the barren deserts of our own futility. Our text for today is Proverbs chapter 16, verses one through nine and verse 33. I'm not going to walk through in great detail all of these because I have one main point to you and that's to talk about the mysterious ways of God and how God is faithful and you can trust him. But I do want to read the text. And so in honor of reading the text, would you stand with me as Proverbs chapter 16, verses one through nine and verse 33. Proverbs chapter 16 is bracketed with the sovereignty of God. In verses one, verses nine and in verse 33, It says this, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, He will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot... It's cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Dear Lord, today as we look at this, I pray that you would help us to grapple with, to wrestle with your mysterious ways. And Lord, how we can trust you because you are faithful even when we don't understand. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. When you look through verses one through nine, one of the things that immediately strikes you is that the word the Lord is used there repeatedly. In fact, it's used eight times in every verse, but verse eight, verse eight is short verse. You also notice that the sovereignty of God comes to light as the theme of verse one and verse nine, and again in verse 33. Verse one tells us that the plans 
of the heart belong to man. We've talked about the heart, the inner will, the inner being of a person, that person that is inside of us, that not the beating muscle, but that word, that will, that desire, the us, the core of us, the plans. A man may make plans. A man may put things in order, may arrange soldiers for battle, may line things up, may organize things neatly, may put the books in order on the shelf, may order the steps forward of degree plans and pathways. But God ultimately prevails even over the desires of our heart. The first line of verse one emphasizes man's ability. We each have the ability to set plans in motion. We each have the ability to think logically and rationally to set forward our goals, our plans of what we hope and want to accomplish. And yet the second emphasis is not on our ability, but on our dependency. Because we are dependent upon God. And recognizing that even in our ability, we are dependent upon God should drive us to humility. All the ways the man are pure in his own eyes. We look at the things that we do. We think about the decisions that we make. We can justify them to anyone because we're really good at justifying our decisions, our paths, our thoughts. If you don't believe us, just ask us. We'll give you all the reasons you could possibly want for why we're right and the rest of the world is going haywire. We're good at it. Just turn on the news. Whatever worldview, you'll see it, defend it, because we think it's right. But the Lord weighs the spirit. This should cause us humility as well. To think that I can't even judge the motives of my own heart. I can't judge what's going on inside my own self because I'm so wicked, I can deceive myself so that I think I'm doing things for good motives when in actuality I've got bad motives, um, unpure motives, and that the Lord can weigh those in his spirit. So I go back continuously to the word of God because the word of God reads me more than I read it. The Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. Commit literally means to roll, as in we are rolling our burdens or we are rolling the big rock of our work onto the Lord. We are committing that work to the Lord. Here, Lord, this is the work that I'm doing. And as we commit it, then the text says that your plans will be established. We have a complete dependency upon God so that we commit our work to him. The Lord then can sift our work and say, this is not worthwhile, but this is. And the plans that need to be established will need to be established. That doesn't mean that your plans won't change. The plans you thought all of this work might be leading up to, but as you roll your work onto the Lord, as you commit it to him, as you trust him, as you're faithful to him, he may say, no, not those plans, but these plans. And we trust him because he's faithful. The Lord has made everything for his purpose. We look around in this world and we see evil and we see wickedness and we see sinfulness and the creation itself cries out for redemption. And as we look around, we say, why, Lord? And yet we know as we read through the text of Scripture, even the wicked things have been made to demonstrate the holiness and the righteousness of God and that he is just when he pours out his wrath on the things that are wicked. It establishes his holiness. It establishes his mercy and grace and that he does not destroy everything. But he offers grace to some, mercy to some, even the wicked can be part of God's plan. We read about Pharaoh in the Old Testament and understand that Pharaoh hardened his own heart as part of God's plan. We read about Nebuchadnezzar. We read about 
Belteshazzar, we read about all of these things and we see a tapestry woven throughout the Old Testament as God, that divine quilt maker, that divine weaver shows us that even evil is used by him for his purposes and his glory. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. But if there's one thing that has struck me over and over and over again in Proverbs, it's how pride is wicked and evil and how the Lord is against it and how humility is something that we should all pursue fervently. You look down your nose at someone, the Lord hates that attitude. You have a heart here, an arrogant heart, literally means a lifted up heart. You elevate yourself and you place yourself above others. And it's easy for us to do. You're the overachievers. You're the ones who have higher grade point average and SAT scores and ACT scores. You're smarter. You're funnier. You're better looking. You're going to have degrees. Other people aren't going to have degrees. You have all these things, all of these gifts that God has given you. And in all these gifts, it's real easy for us to elevate our own hearts and say, oh, look at us. This is the cream of the crop. And yet Proverbs tells us over and over and over again, humility, humility, humility before the Lord. Can I encourage you that no matter what the Lord uses you to do in this life, that you not grow prideful or arrogant about it, but you remain humble before the Lord because even the gifts that the Lord has given you are the gifts that he has given you. They're not in and of yourself. You didn't create them. You didn't give yourself this life. Humble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Strong words. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. We don't have time to delve into the depths of this verse. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. We understand it's a proverb. We understand it's general. We know that we anticipate hostility from the world just as Jesus faced hostility. And yet this proverb reminds us that the king's heart is like a stream being controlled by the hands of God. He can turn the will of men and women however he chooses to turn the will of men and women. So even when you have favor with a boss, even when you have favor in a job interview, even when you find favor in politics or wherever it may be, you recognize that it's the Lord who controls those wills and that favoritism and that acceptance that you may achieve. And so you give glory to God and praise to God for it. Verse eight, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. We recognize here an eternal perspective. This verse doesn't work if there's not an eternal perspective. But you're better off with a little in this life and righteousness than with a whole lot in this life and injustice. Because there is a judgment day coming and God will make everything right. Verse nine, he says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Memorize this verse, start this verse, underline this verse. If you're using electronics, highlight this verse, copy and paste this verse and put it somewhere that you can remember it. This verse will be a verse that you will need to come back to often. It repeats a theme that is in Proverbs. In Proverbs 19, 21, it says, quote, many are the plans in the mind of a man, 
but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans that we come up with, but the purposes of the Lord is what will stand. The heart of a man plans out his way. We know where we want to go, but the Lord establishes the steps and where you want to go may not be where the Lord sends you. And verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap. You roll your dice, you take your pick, you think you're making the decision, but God is sovereign. And even in our bad decisions, God uses them for his purposes because he is ultimately in control of all things. I think about several here on our own campus. I think about Carson Koch. Last year, national champion in the NCAA D2 800 indoor and outdoor. Phenomenal runner. Incredible God-given talent and ability. Injured for the past 10 months. Senior year, great expectations. Instead of winning additional championships and having a platform for the gospel, three x-rays, medical injections, a 3D CT scan, two ultrasounds, and two MRIs to determine that they're still not sure what's happening. Unable to run. And for a runner, that's a really big deal. She said, quote, I've been so frustrated with God because I felt like this was going to be my life platform and he took it away. I felt like I was using the gift he had given me, loving it, and he still took it away. And she concluded, quote, I know if I never compete again, it was God's to burn down, even if it was my dream, end quote. And therein lies the truth. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think about our own Mindy May coming out of college. Broke up with a guy she thought she would marry. She had dated for four years. Went to grad school, but changed grad schools right at the last minute to go to seminary rather than the competitive psychology program she was admitted to. Moved to a different city. Two weeks later, her father unexpectedly passed away. And they had to make the decision to take her dad off life support. She said, quote, I don't think I've ever really felt vulnerable before. But all I could pray for was a true sense of God's covering over me and he was faithful. I learned to trust him. At times, circumstances, disease, and still some doubts try to knock the wind out of ourselves, but nothing about our circumstances changed the character and nature of God. Proverbs 16.9 served as a great source of comfort, strength, peace, and refuge. My plans were many but the Lord's purposes were greater than mine. Whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. End quote. Good song for you to remember when you encounter those times of wondering, those times of difficulty. Consider Job. Wisdom literature. Job 1.8 describes quote, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, end quote. Job, a man who walked this earth, who lost at least some of what he owned, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and very many servants, and seven sons and three daughters. And the devil questioned God. He said, yeah, he's faithful, but he's only faithful because you blessed him. 
Job, having no knowledge of what happens, you read through the book, you understand what takes place. He questions God. A good chapter for us to read whenever we question God is Job chapter 38 through 40. Job chapter 38, verse one says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man and I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hell which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts and given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? And the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the ravens its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wonder about for lack of food? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because of his strength is great? And will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? Do you give the horses his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exalts his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword upon the rattle, him rattle the quiver and flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captain's. And the shouting, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagles mount up and make his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag and stronghold, from there he spies out the prey. His eye beholds it from far away. His young ones suck up the blood. And where the slain are, there he is. Job answered. And he said, Chapter 40, verse 4. Behold, I am of small account. And what shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Verse 42. Chapter 42, excuse me. 
Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. There are other sources to which you could look. The story of Cowper and his hymn, Mysterious Ways of God. In your life, though, you are going to encounter difficulty. And when you do, my prayer is that you will turn to verses like those in Proverbs, verses like those in Job, and verses like Romans eleven thirty three through 36, which says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And ultimately, as you go through all the Proverbs, as you think about all that may happen, it all comes back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make straight your paths. Students, this summer, after you graduate, wherever you go, my prayer for you is that you experience nothing but God's blessings. I want you to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. I want God to give you platforms that will allow you to give the glory to him. I want your life to go perfectly. But I know that for most of you, it won't. It may not go poorly, but there will be moments and there will be days. And for some of you, there will be seasons of life where it will be hard. So now, today, here, in the greenhouse, put your roots deep into the scriptures and into your faith in God so that when the winds blow, you're not toppled over, you're not shaken to and fro, you're not double-minded and unsteady in all of your ways, but your first thought in your mind is, God is faithful, I can trust him. It may not be easy, you may not like it, but your thought over and over is that God is faithful, I can trust him. You lean into the Old Testament and you see the picture that we have through Abraham and Noah and David and the children of Israel and Joshua, Daniel, Peter, so many others. And you come back to the fact that no matter what you may encounter, no matter what may happen, no matter where you may go, God is faithful. You can trust him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, today I wanna to pray over all of our faculty, staff, and students. Lord, that wherever they go and whatever you and your sovereign will allows to happen in all of our lives, that Lord, we will never forget that you are faithful and that we can trust you. God, may that be our first thought. May we lean into you, not run away from you.
May we lean into your word. May we find it to be our wellspring of life and rejuvenation. And Lord, I pray your hand of protection and I, I pray that your blessings will go before all of these. And Lord, I pray that even in difficult times that they will have good friends who will bear the burdens with them and stand with them in good community and good churches that will come alongside them. And Lord, I pray that you will use this generation to be the generation that leads a change throughout this nation and throughout this world for the cause of Christ and that they will be found faithful and one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that you'll keep them, you'll comfort them, you'll strengthen them and whatever comes their way for your honor and your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>